herzlich willkommen zu Socks. Hello and welcome to Socks, so-called strangers. My name is Christine and I have called strangers to find out what we have in common. My, my default setting is believing in the goodness of people. This was Francis. Francis is the stranger I'm meeting today. He's 37 and from Kenya. To be honest, Francis is not a complete stranger to me. I met him about 10 years ago in Nairobi. But it's the first time that we talk about his home country and his life as an African in the US. Francis moved to Virginia, where he works as an assistant school principal. How would I describe Francis? In a few words, he's open, he's warm-hearted, he's curious, he's good-humored, and he's ever so optimistic. In short, he's probably the kindest person I know. I have thought a lot about this word, kindness, because one cannot translate it into German. We don't say kind. We say someone is friendly or nice or maybe benevolent, which is probably the closest translation, because benevolent means meaning well. But the English word kind originally meant natural and described the feeling of being related to one another. I think we all know people or meet people every now and then who are kind, who effortlessly make us feel connected. People who are positive and open and generous and, yeah, who mean well. And I wonder if you're born with the ability to always mean well and to believe in the good in people. Or is this an approach to life you acquire when you grow up? And if so, could I still learn as an adult to be kinder? I meet Francis online in his new home near Washington, D.C. Francis and his wife, who's American, moved to the U.S. after about 10 years in Kenya together. They felt it was time to live closer to her side of the family. Francis tells me that they have happily settled in their new house, they love their jobs, and they've already made friends. To start off, he shares a funny story about his encounters with his new American neighbors. Listen to this. Um, some of the fun experiences I've had is if I'm meeting folks here for the first time, I get a huge compliment about how well I speak English. <laughs> <laughs> What do they think you are? I know. It's like, my goodness, your English is very good. And so now I've begun joking and saying, my gosh, you was too. And, you know, where did you learn? And they look at me like, what do you mean? I, I'm from here. We speak English here. I said, oh, I also speak English where I come from. So I thought maybe you'd been learning as I'd been learning in, in, in Kenya. Francis wears a beaded wristband with the Kenyan colors. He would show it to people to give them a hint where he's from. Most people guess he's African, but he says they don't know the Kenyan flag and they have no idea where Kenya is. It's such fun, he adds. Huh, fun, is it? I wonder... I I would call it ignorance. We discuss how ignorance, if you equal it to absence of knowledge, may create funny situations. I mean, not knowing is totally okay. Not knowing the Kenyan flag is totally okay. A few 
few people know about the huge differences within a continent, let alone within a foreign country or, or region. And no one has to know them all. But I think curiosity is key here to question and to learn. I think never leads to an awkward situation. It gets uncomfortable though when ignorance lacks curiosity and when ignorance is paired with opinion. And it's really annoying when people jump to an opinion about like the Africans, all the Africans. Francis agrees. Once he gets to talk to someone and share some bits of information about Kenya, people are usually happy to learn about distinctive features of his home country. So I'm hoping that as they, as they meet me, as we get to talk more and I get to share pieces about mm -hmm. Kenya, there's some kind of um, a bit more of understanding of, of Kenya as opposed to Africa as a country. I usually shy away from addressing issues that lead on to thin ice, but I very much trust Francis that he understands my interest. Even without any prior warm-up chit-chat, I really feel comfortable asking him something about tribal divisions in Kenya. Let me explain why I want to ask him that. As one knows, President Obama's father was Kenyan. Kenyan from the second most influential Luo tribe. And I recently read that despite all systematic racism in the US, Barack Obama had a greater chance to become president of white majority America than theoretically becoming president of Kenya because his family did not belong to the most influential Kikuyu tribe. And I thought it was so interesting. What does Francis think of that? I ask him, and I'm really grateful that he starts by filling me in on Kenya's socioeconomic patterns. There is still a gap, Francis explains to me patiently. There's a gap with the majority of Kenyans being on the lower end, although their middle class is growing. And as long as it's not election time, Francis says, Kenya is a peaceful country. You can easily travel anywhere and your tribe doesn't matter at all. But as soon as presidential election campaigns start, all the tribes come up, as he says. People would say, I don't know what this guy's agenda is, but he's one of us. So that's where I will put my vote. Because people like to support what they're familiar with. Francis adds. And this causes obviously a lot of tension, mostly in Nairobi, in the capital. During campaigns, there's violence in the streets and shops get looted. And that's why most people try to leave the capital and stay back in their home villages where they feel safer. So I understand now that there's no specific reason for this unrest and, and for the fights. And Francis calls it a social construct and that it doesn't mean anything in itself. Well, after the 2007 elections, riots and violent attacks went on for months, and thousands of people were displaced, and more than a thousand people died. And Francis says that these tragic events have shifted how younger Kenyans view the demarcation line between tribes now. 
So it's really what you're saying. It's really a social construct where it doesn't mean anything in itself mm. in northern Kenya, except for this time. Um, but then, you know, after 2007, after that whole political tension that happened in Kenya, the post-election violence, people became really afraid. So they tried to minimize those tensions during election time. So in, in other words, in modern Kenya, there is a realization that although we are from different tribes, really we are one nation. Francis says that younger Kenyans now realize that although they are from different tribes, they are one nation. And these change, these changes take time, Francis adds. Hmm. Different but one. I personally think that should be written on every country's flag. We're different but one. Coming back to my initial question about Barack Obama. Uh, Francis points out that the US is an old country compared to Kenya, which is less than 60 years old. He wonders if he will actually see his country develop to become a real modern state during his lifetime. I mean, when I grew up, he recalls, I didn't even know there were candidates. We had the same president for 24 years. Listen to this. But, but also at the time, in terms of like when I was growing up, there weren't any political tensions. There was only one president that I knew in my childhood who, who was president for 24 years. So, you know, it, it was just, we knew that the election time came and this person was president again. And that's how, you know, I wasn't caught into, oh, these candidates. And it was Moy, the president who gave us milk as school children every Thursday. There would be a big truck that came with them. For every school in Kenya that came with packets of milk to give the school children. So we loved him. Francis is referring to Daniel Arab Moy. He was president for almost a quarter of a century. Did Francis know Moy was from a different tribe than his parents? Yes, of course, Francis replies, because of his name. We can tell the tribe by the name. So you could look at a class list and you go, oh, Martin Mwangi, that's Kikuyu, John Joroge, that's Kikuyu, uh, Caroline Mutia, that's Kamba, just with the name. And then, mm. it, so it, it was very alive also when I was growing up, but not in a, in a divisive way, but we are diverse, but in the same class. And in day-to-day -day life, you don't really see this group hanging out by that group. It wasn't divisive. I'm still trying to grasp the concept of tribes, probably because it's so different from our European history. African history is deeply rooted in its tribal legacy, with Kenya alone being the home to more than 40 tribes who speak more than 50 different languages, 50 in Kenya alone. They each also have their own culture, like specific musical instruments, traditional clothes. It's a real cultural wealth. It's a blessing. It's a challenge at the same time. I believe that all humans want to belong to be part of some sort of tribe, right? A tribe, be it a language or an ethnic group or any other sort of cohort. And I guess that problems arise as soon as the group defines itself by supremacy or, or simply by size or power and influence. It's probably a very fine line a line that has to be defined by every group. On one side are all the positive notions 
of belonging, who takes part, the connecting. And on the other side, there are the effects of comparison, competition, distance, which in turn may lead to alienation and discrimination. Hmm. As Francis says, at his school, it was us and them, not us versus them. I can see that Francis is thinking about this complex question too. Belonging. For him, belonging to a tribe was basically never an issue. He argues that he has a high level of acceptance for people who are different than himself. He has traveled extensively and he has made friends in all corners of the world. So Francis wonders if it was easier for him than for other people to connect to strangers because he learned it early in his childhood when he shared the classroom with boys from different tribes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. and maybe that, I wonder if that had to do, good question. I wonder if that has to do with my level of acceptance of people who are different than me, meaning moving here to the US where it's completely different from Kenya, making friendships all over the world. I wonder where that happened that made it not easy, but easier. Was it from my childhood where I had people from all the tribes who we coexisted together and it was actually okay? That made me realize, you know, you may be different, but it's actually okay. Or did he learn to be open-minded when he was already traveling and meeting other people as an adult? I asked him. Or is it all much, much, when I was much older, when I met people from other countries and I began traveling a lot? Uh, I mean, I visited about th uh, 30 different countries and was it those experiences that made me who I am? Maybe. So it's growing up with the tribal differences, traveling to the different countries, now experimenting, living in a different place, putting myself out there in different, in different situations to see if I'm actually tolerant of other people or, you know, it's just an idea that I have in my head. <laughs> yeah. I have been putting myself out there, Francis says. And I suggest that it may be a mix, a mix from childhood experience an interest to explore the world. And as I said, I find him to have a very curious and friendly personality and he probably learned early on to be tolerant. Plus, he's always been brave to put himself in challenging situations. His recent move from Kenya to Virginia is just the last from many daring steps on his journey. Francis' parents always supported him, although they themselves rarely traveled. He tells me that his mom saw the ocean for the first time when she came to Francis' wedding at the Kenyan coast. Francis and I agree that traveling and experiencing different countries and people and cultures is the best way to learn about your own home country and people and culture. As you compare and contrast, you view on what has been familiar to you it, it changes hmm francis ponders maybe maybe the more we see the more judgmental we become but is that a bad thing i ask him and we think about this for a while and then francis replies by telling me about his mom when she traveled outside of kenya for the first time first she was Totally mind blown by the size of Nairobi International Airport, as uh, she had only known the national one, which is smaller. 
And um, so they flew to Frankfurt at a stopover in Frankfurt. And that put Kenya International now in second place. And they went on to Philadelphia. And that made Frankfurt look small. And when his mom returned to Nairobi, Francis says, um, because he was traveling with her, he could see how sad she was to realize that Kenya's terminal was actually a bit run down and shabby because her view had changed. I think that when it comes to familiar places or buildings, rooms, it's true for, for, for everyone that the perspective changes as soon as you experience new surroundings. I mean, we all know how weird it feels to return to your old family home and realize the size of your childhood room, right? Or the backyard, the village roads. This change in perspective doesn't apply equally to people, or does it? Francis, do we get more judgmental towards our family and friends the more people we know? Mm, I don't know, he replies. But um, as for his mom, she absolutely loved her travel. And still, she was really happy to be back in her village, in her small house. And when she's out fetching water, Francis says, she meets and talks with her neighbors. She's in the village. She calls home and where she feels at home. Francis was born in Kenya's capital, Nairobi, and has always lived there. But he tells me that no one is from Nairobi because they're not. If someone asked him, he'd say he's from Butere, which is close to the border between Kenya and Uganda. That's where his parents are from, where his mom lives, and where he would retire to if he was still living in Kenya. His identity is clearly rooted in that area. He calls himself a Western Kenyan. Actually, he did spend some years in Butere because his parents decided to send him to a boarding school there for his high school years. They felt it was a good idea to keep him away from city trouble, drinking and drugs. The gates closed behind him. He laughs and there was no getting out until it was over. Huh. I know that in Commonwealth countries, boarding schools are very common. However... I think four years away from your family, oh, that must have been really hard. Was it, Francis? It was a long stretch. Yeah, four years, yeah. Yeah, but oh. then when, yeah, I learned how to become a farmer, right? How to grow maize and, and beans and how to milk a cow and how to tell when a cow is sick. And Hang on, hang on. Do they teach that in high school? <laughs> in high school. What? They do not. So how did you learn that? How did you become a farmer? Um, because the school in the school we we ate like similar foods every day, and the school had a farm, and so students went to work in the farm. We we're not paid oh. for it, uh, so part of it was for pleasure, and part of it was for punishment. So if you've done something wrong, they beat you, and then they send you to the farm to do like hard labor, like dig and turn the soil, and then you plant and yeah. Francis almost casually mentions that the boys were beaten in school. It's a rare moment where I'm taken aback and Francis is smiling because he can tell I'm bewildered. Okay, so they beat you. That's, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Do they, still, do they still do that, you think? 
it's less and less it's still happening but not as much as um, as it happened when i was growing up and to be honest mm-hmm. when i was growing up it we, i don't see that as misery all of us Kenyans at my age when we talk about being beaten we're not sad about it it's not it's not like wow how could they have done that and it's actually good stories we laugh about it um and many times actually we say yeah it was actually we, we deserved it most of the time we deserved it francis says and i wish you could see his wide smile so if he doesn't feel scarred who am i to judge i'm just so stuck between my intention to accept and my reflex to condemn Francis kindly reminds me to look at the stories behind the mere facts to get a broader picture, as he calls it. He's right. Why am I instinctively judging his story from my point of view? During his high school years, he became independent, Francis says. The fact themselves, if you look at the fact themselves, you, you, mm. you only but if you look at the stories behind these facts, then they paint a much broader picture. So my parents sending me to high school They weren't sending me to this prison of hard labor and being locked in. They wanted to keep me away from kids who are violent and doing drugs. And I, I, my first time I ever had alcohol, I was 24. I was 24 years old. Mm-hmm. I'm very grateful that my parents shielded me from it because I know folks who began drinking when they were in high school. And then mm-hmm. these days they're still suffering the effects of beginning mm-hmm. to drink very early. So... The fact itself, being sent to boarding school, is it sad? I, you know, no, because then you learn how to become, I don't know, I learned how to become independent in terms of you are with other boys and you have same school uniform. And so if you do laundry, you sit down and watch your shirt dry because if you leave it, someone else will come and take your clean shirt and put their dirty one and then you would never find it because it's all a thousand boys having the same color of shirt. Or, you know, so you learn how to maneuver the world and make it work. After his years in boarding school, Francis attended university in Nairobi. In his first year, something happened that would dramatically influence the trajectory of his life. A dance group visited the campus and for the first time Francis saw a salsa performance. I saw them and I loved it, Francis says, who until then had never heard about salsa before, not the word, let alone the dance. He really wanted to learn it. And when he pursued this plan, he came to understand that the music lyrics were in Spanish. And consequently, he learned to speak Spanish. And while doing so, he met folks who came from Spanish-speaking places. And they told him about their countries and how life there was like. And that's when Francis decided, I want to go to Mexico. His family thought it was a crazy idea. But Francis realized his plan and he eventually spent three months in Mexico. I came back with so many wonderful memories and positive experiences, he says. I decided now I want to see more. And he started his teaching career and every holiday he would spend traveling and exploring the world. I love this story. I don't think Francis would have responded equally to, say, a Russian dance group. 
There is something about the Latino way of expressing joy of life through music and dance. It's totally buried in his personality. He's also joyful and upbeat. And when he speaks passionately about salsa, his eyes light up. And he's, and it's quite obvious that his heart is beating in some sort of Latino rhythm. I must, however, add at this point that Spanish is not just one of Francis' hobbies. On top of his Bachelor in Science and a Master in International Education, he was awarded with a diploma for the highest level of Spanish as a foreign language. Francis speaks Spanish as well as his three original mother tongues, English, Swahili and Luya. Francis, were you ever scared when you traveled? He replies, my setting is believing in the goodness of people. Even though his friends would warn him about certain countries or if the news was concerning, he found that once he traveled to a place, he would meet friendly people. He would hear good music. He would eat great food. Has he been ever homesick for Kenya, I wonder? No, he answers. If I start thinking about things I'm missing about Kenya, then I think I'm setting my sad, my, myself up. I'm setting a foundation of sadness. Oh, I miss the giraffes and the zebras. I miss seeing this. And there's a lot of, there's so, I could make a whole list of things I'm missing, really. If you give me a pen and paper. But I, but I could also make a very long list of things I'm learning here, people I'm meeting, things I'm experiencing, all the good things here. They're equally long. And so my eyes are trying to focus on what's here and what is good and not thinking about what I've left. And I've been here for four months now. Not a single day have I missed Kenya. So we talk about what we may miss if we think of home and we agree that certain foods certainly not only evoke childhood memories, but certainly link you back to your home, right? I suggest that being homesick is a bit of sweet feeling because you're longing for a place that is souling good or at least familiar emotions. And it would be so much sadder not to have a place that you miss, wouldn't it? And truth be told, Francis and I, we've always been privileged to be able to return to our home countries. And I think of refugees who can't go home. And surely that's a whole different scenario. In order to get a sniff of the smells, colors, chaos of Nairobi, Francis likes to travel to the southern states of the U.S., For example, in New Orleans, he says, you smell the exhaust fumes. That's really funny. And the streets are not as orderly and paved as in other cities. People drive more aggressively, don't necessarily stop at every red light. Ah, to be in Louisiana or Florida, Francis says, that centers me right back to being in Nairobi. Isn't that interesting? I mean, it makes him happy to be in a place that reminds him of Kenya because of its disorderly streets and smells. He just finds the good in everything. And Francis said earlier that he believes in the goodness of people. I wonder if this mantra of trust has ever been challenged. He answers me by telling a recent incident. He was on a road trip um, from Alabama to Pennsylvania, somewhere in the southern states. He and, and his wife, and they stayed in an Airbnb, a cottage. And 
so just like 10 steps away from their cottage, there was this, this big house with a huge Confederate flag. And there was a man cutting his grass in front of it. He was shirtless. He was fully tattooed, big beard. I mean, you get the picture. So Confederate flag, shirtless man, fully tattooed. Francis turns to his wife and he says, oh, I totally want to go and meet him. His wife wasn't too thrilled about this idea, but Francis, being Francis, he went over to the guy and, yeah, he ended up talking to him for more than half an hour. We shared stories, he says, and he's beaming. We shared stories and it was just the most wonderful conversation. He was just a guy, just a dude who had similar fears like me, who had similar likings like me. And the flag... The flag reminded him of his grandfather. The flag had no political significance. It was a reminder of his family. It was a really good experience, Francis closes. He was just a guy. Hmm. What a lesson, I think to myself. This could have really gone awry. But had Francis not been brave and trusted his belief his belief in the goodness of people, he would have missed an extraordinary experience. Hmm. This courage, I think, is, is, I think is hard to learn. I had bad experiences, Francis admits, but they cannot outweigh the good ones. Francis compares experiences to a bank account of life lessons. A bad experience would be like withdrawing from a trust mantra, but it wouldn't affect the overall balance as he has a big surplus on the asset side. He traces this unwavering trust back to his childhood. Kenyans help each other, he says. If you have a flat tire in the middle of the night, there will always be people to help you. It would be very puzzling to me if I had a problem and no one would help me. We expect to be kind to each other. Hmm. Remember what I said about kindness in the beginning, that it used to mean natural. And here, Francis literally refers to kindness and helpfulness as something he and other Kenyans would expect naturally from each other. What I find so admirable about Francis is that he consciously decides to look at the bright side of life. I would love to be able to do the same, as I rather tend to worry and expect the worst to happen. There's nothing wrong about your approach, Francis says, because he's not only wise, but also understanding. He says, you have your bag of experiences, and like everyone, you draw from your bag. So there's no right or wrong. Some of us are more alike, some are different. You can only aspire to what you want to be. So, of all the 7 billion people in the world, everyone has their own web of experiences that define you know, the fears they have and how they approach it. And some are very similar and some are very different. And there's no one way that's better than the other. We can only aspire to be what you want to be. Your outlook on life and how you approach things to me this is not good, it's not bad, it's just how Christine sees it. Mm. 
it's just it's it, that's you it's it's the you that attracts people to the you that it's really that it's the yeah well 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 i hesitate to agree i assume I assume life is much easier and lighter if you don't worry and overthink all the time, but are optimistic and open like Francis is. He answers that for him it's a matter of gratitude. He's generally grateful for a lot of things in his life. He appreciates and he values every kind of help, of support, of connection. So maybe that's the trick to being such a charming and kind person to be grateful and to smile often. Thank you, Christine. Yeah. So good. You look wonderful. Keep smiling. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I will. I will. Yes, kindness. I said in the beginning, kindness is what comes to mind when you get to meet Francis. In its ancient original, kindness meant that you are connected through the same humane spirit. Kindness is defined as a way of treating people with respect. I'd say this all certainly applies to him. Thank you, Francis, for taking the time to have this amazing conversation. I will take away your warm and wholehearted approach to life. Let's be in touch. Don't be a stranger. We we'll talk again soon. We will. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 This was Socks, So-Called Strangers. I hope you enjoyed the episode. A transcript in English and German and photos of all episodes can be found at socalledstrangers.de. For questions or comments, please contact me at socalledstranger, one stranger, at gmx.net Don't be a stranger! <laughs>